Are you an author who's tired of the long waits and low royalties? Exact Rush is here to change the game. We specialize in publishing with precision, and we get your book to market in just three to six months, not years. But we're not just about books. We also support your photography, web design, and content creation needs. Our focus ranges from spirituality to pop culture, and we're excited about our diverse lineup of upcoming releases. So if you're ready to keep more of your hard-earned money and get published faster, Exact Rush is your ticket. Visit exactrush.com and turn your creative dream into a profitable reality today. Tap into your most original thinking, organize your ideas, and create the opportunities to launch your creative work. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. And today, I'm so glad to have as my guest, Amara Imua, a leadership coach and an author. Her new book is The Truth Behind Excuses. Amara, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's good to feel your energy and see your smile. And as we think about leadership as a creative practice. I'm so curious as these kind of defining moments, you've had a lot of corporate HR experience in addition now to your own consulting practice. What do you think influences executive and leadership development the most? I am particularly very passionate about authentic leadership. And for me, that answered a whole lot of questions that traditional um, leadership models did not. So based on my passion for authentic leadership, I would say that there are two or three critical things that actually influence leadership. The self, the individual, the self, because authentic leadership, for instance, is self-referential. It talks more about the self than relationships, which then takes us to the outer environment. But these two play with the outer environment. Mm. So I would say the person, the individual, at this time, let's call that self the individual and then relationships and then the environment. That's great. And the environment of work these days has certainly mm -hmm. changed more remote. And I even think more multinational, more diversity, mm -hmm. even based on your own experience, Amara, you mm -hmm. built your career in Lagos, Nigeria, now mm -hmm. practicing and, and leading your company here in the States. What have you seen in this area of developing relationships across differences? That's a good question, Mike, even though I think it's going to have a very complicated response. <laughs> it is a complicated um, issue. <laughs> yeah, but I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things that I pride myself about is the fact that I see leadership from a multicultural lens. In as much as leadership development principles are universal, I would say they are universal and I would explain. We all approach leadership and perceive leadership from cultural lenses. And in all honesty, leadership is all about perception. Mm. Because that someone is effective is based on the perception of followers or what or the people you're working with. So to a great extent, leadership is about perception. But I'll come back to your question, which is about that cultural um, nuances. That's what I think that positions me stronger in this space. 
And even in my studies of authentic leadership, I did that across Nigeria and United States, comparing to see what kind of dynamics play in this field. Um, irrespective of which cultural categorization we use, half state, anybody, you will find that Nigeria is at one end, United States is at the other end of whichever, let's even use half stitch that talks about power distance, right? That's mm -hmm. number one, or assertiveness. But let's say we power distance for a second. So Nigeria has a high power distance relationship. US has low power distance relationship. What does that really mean for the leader? So it means that for people in Nigeria, Sub-Saharan Africa, most even most Asian countries, that we see leaders as being superiors, right? And the fact is also that leaders see themselves as being superior over the people they are leading. Very interesting. That is completely different for United States and every other low power distance culture. So things like that, even assertiveness, those things come into play when you're leading a multicultural team. Simple things like eye contact, for instance. Mm. I was brought up not to look at superior people in the eye, but if I don't do he that here, they will say, oh, she's shifted, she's hiding something. No, so when you work with leaders, you want to make them understand that you have different people in your team that are seeing you as the leader from different lenses. And so the honest is not on the followers, it's on the leader. And that's where authentic leadership for me is so powerful because it doesn't only say this is what you need to do as a leader. It tells you how to manage that process as a leader. Yeah. yeah. So, well, and yeah. you're using this word power, which I, it's very interesting. Uh, now that I'm thinking about some of my multicultural, multinational kind of uh, meetings, sometimes it's knowledge power, sometimes it's position power that you respect mm -hmm. the title. But I do think in Asian uh, markets, I saw this teacher power that whoever was instructing, you deferred to them because yeah. they were the instructor. So it's very interesting that you translate that into a power and a power distance kind of dynamic. Yes, because that's really, that's also so important for the leaders to understand because it plays not just in your relationship, also communication. So sometimes you send out that direct unambiguous email and you find your Asian or sub-Saharan African team members reacting or responding differently. And in your head, that was supposed to be clear and direct, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's interesting. I was going to ask you about the juxtaposition mm -hmm. of authenticity mm -hmm. in the context of this power relationship that you're describing. How can the leader be real mm -hmm. knowing that their team, their employees, their company might be looking at them not to be real? <laughs> or to be stepping yeah, out to be, beyond to that. Be some, some superhero that some, is it. something else that they're not. Yes. Honestly, that's also a very fundamental good question. So authentic leadership has four dimensions. And I mentioned this not to sound theoretical because I actually just want to practicalize it for once. Okay. So it has four dimensions, right? It has what we call self-awareness. Everyone is like, oh, that's the foundation. But so it has self-awareness. And I will come to that. It has relational transparency. 
it has what we call balanced processing and it has internal moral perspectives. So as a leader, let's even start with that self-awareness and, 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 and relational transparency for one second. So as a leader, one of the things you need to be aware of is in addition to who am I, is what are my biases? What are those things that I have been subject to, not because I wanted to, but because of the culture and everything else that I have imbibed. And we expect leaders who, who want to be authentic to be upfront with themselves. But you do a whole lot of soul searching ahead to actually identify those. And it's not a weakness. It's not a, it's not a struggle of any sort. It's the fact that I know who I am. And I know that I have these biases and sometimes they do come into play when in my relationships, in my interactions, in my decisions. And so being aware of that is so important. And it's, it then takes us to the, the, the second dimension that I mentioned, which is relational transparency. And sometimes you want to even acknowledge that openly to your team because all you're trying to create is that access no, so that they are aware that you're just like any one of us on that you are also working on something. And the fact that you know that this exists actually endears you to your team members. Very so, good. And, and that is an interesting balance. You were just talking, there are some traditional leadership expectations. Yes. We expect leaders to play this role or to be sometimes a cheerleader, sometimes a true manager, certainly a strategist. And yet your biases, your experience, this worked at my last company, so I'm sure it's going to work again, <laughs> or it didn't work at my last company, so we're not going to try that again. It is a, a, a position of impact either way. You know, yes. They're looking to make a difference. And so we believe that you, impact is increased as well when you're able to carry people along. We actually encourage authentic leaders or anyone who wants to be authentic, lead authentically to your stories. Use your mm. stories. Use the stories of your, uh, of your failures. Use the stories of your success. Use the stories of your doubts, the risks you took. They talk about it so that people, because that's what connects you. And that's how you're able to sell your vision. That's how you're able to sell that to them that shifts their mindset from, oh, that's not Superman. Mm -hmm. That's a human being. And as soon as you're able to make that inroad, you win. You win everyone in your organization. And that's how impact grows, really. Yes. Can you think of a, a leader, and maybe this is somebody you've coached, maybe this is somebody you use as, a, as an example, but can you think of a leader who made that kind of transformation that said, I know I'm in the role to make a difference, but I also need to be self-aware, transparent, build relationships. Can you find a story that you might share with us? I did write this story about a former CEO of Alcor sometime, like that when he was given the aluminum company, the American aluminum company, mm -hmm. that when he was given that responsibility, and I will come to a leader that I have worked with, but I think I wanted to mention this, that people in this place would remember, and I'm trying to remember his name right now. Anyway, at the time when he was given, he he ended up being also like energy secretary for George W. Bush, mm -hmm. but he was, mm -hmm. but yeah. So when he took over that company, his first meeting and his first meeting with shareholders and all the stakeholders, 
And everybody was expecting him to come talk about how they're going to cut costs and all the great things that he was going to achieve. And he got into the meeting and he says, I want to talk about safety. Hmm. The way I went, at least that's how this was written. Everywhere was quiet. Actually, somebody said, who, this guy must be crazy. Like I'm leaving, I'm going to tell my clients to sell their stocks this afternoon because this guy must be crazy. Fast track, it didn't take up to two years. He actually believed that if he can connect with what is important to the people and if he can bring down that safety accident rate in the company, but that that is important to the people as well as it is for the company. History and whatever has it that the, the stock of Armenian company doubled. Hmm. But all he started with was what was important to the people. It wasn't what was important to the lenders or to the shareholders. Eventually, he worked, in, he worked his way to that. Yes. But it's interesting to know that most great leaders, and I worked with one, with a leader who, when he came to Nigeria, said, I know nothing, which was very different from all the leaders we've had. He says, I'm going to depend on you people to build this company because you have the relationships. Your uncles and your or people you went to school are the ones in the government. So I am going to depend on you people and I'm going to work with you people and I'm going to use everyone in this organization strategically. I am open to listening. Again, there are people you know who are big time leaders out there. And there are people, I don't want to call any political leader because I don't have any political mm -hmm. uh, um, affiliation, but there are political leaders also who, irrespective of what noise is going on, want to connect with what is important to their people. So I, I think that um, the point I'm trying to make is when a leader is also able to empathize. When a leader is able to be vulnerable, that's the word we use in this. When you are able to show vulnerability for the authentic leader, it is not a weakness. It is a strength. Very good. I'd like to uh, talk to you about your new book now, The Truth Behind Excuses. And uh, there's tension right in the title excuses we want performance no excuses like you know yeah. i'm sick of excuses we're going to yeah. win or we're not going to win but yeah. we're not going to make excuses and yet there's truth behind the excuses tell us about that the journey of this book is really interesting like i, I said in the book I, this book was inspired by a young particularly young emerging leaders that i worked with as i was completing actually continued to work with them up until 2016, but as I was completing my PhD, and I realized that they were, they were always coming up with one excuse or the other about why they wouldn't do their work. And at this level in organization, I was like, this is not real. There's something that is not working for me here. And then I said, I need to know a bit more why we make excuses. Mm -hmm. and, and I started paying attention because Prior to this, I hear my kids make excuses all the time, but it's never hit me to the point where I wanted to pay attention to what kind of excuses, when do people make excuses? 
and then started probing, why did we make excuses? And so that was what led me into the research for the book is to understand why humans make excuses. And it's, it was particularly important for me because um, when I was with this group, with myself or others um, that I met, excuses devalue us as human beings. They actually reduce our values and we've never really paid attention to it. So that's what led me into that journey. Mm -hmm. And where did you find the line? And I know it's a fine balance, right? Mm -hmm. But it was the economy. It was the weather. It was the holidays. So I couldn't reach anybody to make sales. It was a pandemic, which we've all used. And but CEOs and on down the organizational lines, they make excuses. Now that means they found a reason or there must be an obstacle. There's something we couldn't overcome, whatever that would be. But where do some people find the challenge in those obstacles and overcome them? And where do people just rationalize sort of their shortcomings? I like the word rationalize. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> First, let me start by saying that we make different kinds of excuses, and it's important to make that distinction, right? Excuse is excuse, but it's not always excuse. Mm. I don't know if that makes any sense. But so we make different kinds of excuses. Sometimes we responsibly to want to accept. I would I accept responsibility, and then you hear the next sentence is like, so there are situations where we want to discount the failure a little bit. Not that we want to completely take ourselves out of it. So we discount the failure a little bit. And there are situations where we find a consensus. Look, this happens all the time. So please cut me some slack right here. And so there are situations also where we want to, what I call the, when we stretch the accountability a little bit, for instance, mom, the, this exam room today was so hot. Everybody was sweating. I don't think anyone finished. My, this person has absolutely no clue whether anyone finished or not, but it's setting you up to lower your expectations. He's mm -hmm. not making, he hasn't made any excuse so far, just setting you up to lower your expectations. So there are times when we do that, athletes do that a whole lot. Press conference, watch the next press conference before any big event. They want to lower your expectation. They haven't made any excuse whatsoever. Again, what I'd say, oh, there are different routes we take. What the key thing I, I really want people to take from this book is there are things that others, and, I, and, and that is to answer your question, there are things that people have done. It's not like they didn't have excuses to overcome that excuses. And that one of them is not procrastinating. Hmm. Procrastination and fear were the two main excuse-inducing factors. And there are two types of fear we can get. We may or may not have to discuss that. But procrastination, and in procrastination comes so many things, comes this whole idea. Part of it is fear. Part of it is time no, I, I try to say not having value for time. That's the way I put it. Because time is something that if you don't have value for it, you're done for, you're finished. Yes. 
So there are those dynamics that play in excuses. So there are antecedents to excuses, strategies to managing excuses, but primarily we give excuses because we want to defend our ego. We want to manage our uh, impression of how others see us. You mentioned uh, taking responsibility and accountability for our decisions and our value of time, for example. Mm -hmm. But is there a habit of excuses Mm -hmm. that develops? When you're early in your career and you say, sorry, I was late, traffic was Mm -hmm. awful, the train was late, my uh, plane was late, there was snow, whatever the excuse is, does that build up? Do you get a habit of making excuses and then all of a sudden you're a leader, you're an exec VP, you're a leader in government or whatever, and you find yourself saying, it wasn't my fault, there were external... Exactly. Mark, I'm glad you brought that up. Excuse given itself is defined as a pattern of ascribing or attributing failures to external influence, external factors. That's, you actually just define the excuse by that thing, by that expression. That's what it is. So it becomes habit because there are two words, right? A pattern is a pattern. That means it's something that we do so often. And if you don't check it, it becomes a habit. And it actually follows what psychologists call the three cues, there's a cue for excuse. There is the action you take and there is a reward. And that's what makes, that's how we build, that's how we form habits, right? And so that's the same pattern. That's the same thing excuses does. So when a situation arises, I just said, uh, the truth is that you woke up late. It wasn't, <laughs> there's always traffic between here and this. Yes. Where I think from. There yes. is, if, if you don't leave at 6.55, you will be late. So it was not traffic. It's actually that you didn't wake up on time, but you're not about to tell your boss that you didn't wake up on time. So it is traffic. And that's continuing. And when you say that, you feel better. Mm. Like the boss is not going to think that you are sloppy or you're tidy or because. So that's what excuses do for us. They are like, they make us feel good. Mm-hmm. And we feel like we have impressed the, the yes. other person. And sometimes, even though we look foolish, we don't realize that. And our audience is filled with uh, designers, artists, mm-hmm. authors, and other creative practitioners. And mm-hmm. uh, we are the kings and queens of excuses. <laughs> and you must have experienced this yourself as an author, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how many excuses did you come up with about why this book isn't finished yet? Why? <laughs> So like, why are you going to do this? Why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? Honestly, <laughs> and it's interesting that you ask that. Someone asked me also, why did I write the book? I said it was an idea whose time has come. As, and it's not like this is a new idea. I said it's, it's like one of those times you receive a message from God or from the universe and you're wrong with it. Because honestly, I... My first book was going to be on leadership, basically, Mm -hmm. not on this. So to answer your question, there wasn't a lot of excuses about writing it. There was a lot of excuses about publishing it. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So I was going to publish it last year. No, it was two years ago, and then it was going to be last year. And I was like, okay, I'm researching editors who is going to edit the book. And I was like, it would take me this. But yes, like every other person, One of the things that pushed me to get to the end with this book was actually 
what I tell every other person, begin with the end in mind. I always believe that if you have an anchor of the end in mind, it should, it drives everything else. And um, no matter what excuses you come up, you are able to actually overcome those excuses because you are focusing on what you have seen. Everything is created twice, right? According to COVID. So that create that first creation where it had gotten to the end, because with the first creation, you've gone from beginning to the end. And because that picture is right in your head, it helps you overcome everything else behind. I have said it is not so easy. There are other things you have to do. Like I said, key for me is to begin with the end in mind. And the second thing is to actually set very clear goals for yourself. Break it down. That's why I was so impressed with the, the gentleman that you spoke with, the podcast, I think, that you posted last week mm. that said, if you're going to, don't say you're going to sing at the opera. Say, I'm just going to sing a song tomorrow or something like that. So break things down like that into smaller tags. But between the end and everything else, another key thing for me, which I have written and talked a lot about is causal exploration. Because most of the times when we hit a block, we stop and we like, we that's it. We, you want to explore why that. And if forget what you're writing, like, what's that block? So you hit a block in chapter five, deal mm-hmm. with chapter, don't worry about chapter six and seven that hasn't mm-hmm. happened yet. So d- what is it about chapter five that is causing this block? Does it mean that chapter four didn't end how it should have ended. Just exploring a little bit about that is also helpful. Mm-hmm. I won't want to talk about time management here at all because yes. so many people have talked about that in the book and what I tell myself, great people, you wrote a book, everybody, great people have achieved everything on, with 24 hours. God is not about to change it for me. We all have the same time, yeah. So to, to dig a little deeper, and again, mm-hmm. I am not trying to call you out because no, it, no, no, I'm but actually, I mean, I'm, you know, you, yeah. you mentioned that, hey, writing the book came smoother maybe than publishing the book. Yeah. Uh, so you got to this stage and you said, is it time? Is it fear? Am I questioning myself? Am I saying, mm-hmm. is it good enough? What, mm-hmm. what were some of those creative obstacles that came up for you in actually um, getting the book out? One of them is what you just said. Hmm, who wants to read this book, by the way? So that was one of them. The first class we had in my PhD um, studies, the very first class we had, the professors were like, don't ever love anything you've written. Do not love anything you've written. So... I, in my writing, never, that, the reason they say that is so that you're open to, you can call it criticism, but you're open to other ideas about the book, right? So one of them was what you said, is this good enough? Who else should look at this book for me? And so that was one of them. Second was, when is the right time? Forgetting that when I wrote the book is the right time, right? So there was then again, is this the right time? Is this not the right time? So there was also that. Like everyone else, yes, I hesitated a little bit about putting it out there. I also wanted to find, understand publishing journey. Honestly, publishing is a journey. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know beyond 
Okay, you need an editor. I didn't know you need different kinds of editors, by the way. Anyway, <laughs> so there was also that. So I wanted to, so I had, I wanted to, I thought publishing is publishing. And then when I had two of my professors read the book and come back with comments, and then it was time to look for it. So those, but yes, I went through the whole thing. If you're the person, is this good enough? Should I put myself out there with it or should I not? Is this the right time or is it not? Yes, I did have those questions like everyone yes. else. But it's good that you distinguish between the self-doubt side of things and that I need more information to push ourselves to learn more and to say, I don't really know this process or I don't really know this industry or whatever the case might be. It's like we have to continue to push ourselves. Mark, that can also be a cop-out. I have to tell you a little bit about, depending on which personality type, but I, I use culture talk. This Cynthia will be very happy with this. But so there's the search part of me, which does research all the time, which is probably the reason I read a lot and research. So I can research something. I recall researching something for so long. My son said, mom, you've done enough research. Get on with it. <laughs> so I can be here researching the same thing. And I talk to him all the time about it. And then I talk to him again about my findings. I think it was like three months or four months. He says, mom, you've done enough research get on with it. So sometimes we, it could also be a cop out. I'm hiding, not intentionally, but because for me, it's like another excuse where you haven't failed or you have not. It's not like you haven't done it. You're doing it. You're doing something. But honestly, you're just boiling water and it's going on and on and yes. nothing is being added to it. Yeah. And finally, it's time to push the send button. Let's yeah. get it out there. Yes. Yeah. Tell us where we can uh, find the book and learn more about your work. Oh, thank you. Anyone listening, you can find the book, The Truth Behind Excuses is on Amazon. And you can also go through my website, Authentic Transformations. I would say that if anyone listening there, you're looking to get a good coach, a career coach, executive coach for yourself or for your organization, please contact me on LinkedIn, Amara Imua. I'm on LinkedIn. My website is authentictransformations.net. So please get in touch and let's talk about how we can help you. The managers in your organization differentiate themselves and build capability to deliver at high level. Wonderful. I hope people reach out. And uh, what else are you working on? What, what's next for you? What are you, oh, what are yes, you up to? Yes, yes. So I have a leadership roundtable coming up in January where I want to explore some of the things you mentioned here. What are those issues that managers are dealing with in organizations today that that they need help with. Uh, so I want to get the views of decision makers in organization and how they're working on that. Also working, believe it or not, on another book, leading from the core of excellence, how, how authentic leaders lead with courage and purpose. So that's in the, that is, that's in the works. And I also have another podcast coming up in January, I believe, yes. Wonderful. Please, please go to my pardon? Yeah, L wonderful. We'll look forward yeah. to hearing all this and reading more of your research. Amara, as mm -hmm. we close, mm -hmm. I'd love for you to give us a piece of inspiration and motivation to overcome some of these excuses, to act more authentically, but to get our work out. What could you speak to our creative listeners? I would say one thing, and I said it at the beginning, do not let excuses bring down the value of your life. Because the problem with excuses is that they kill the desire to aim higher. 
So I would want all the listeners to please watch how excuses could rob you of the value and of the talent God's given to you. And for all the leaders there that I've talked about authentic leadership, when I talk about two things, how to lead as uniquely you, you have everything it takes to lead effectively. You don't need to be a fake. You don't need to copy anyone else. And so when you work with me, I'll help you to bring out those strengths. And like I said, there are tools that you can use to be as effective as you want to be and to get your performance to that level that you desire. Uh, so terrific. Great insight that these excuses can rob us of getting our talent out there and getting the light and the attention it deserves. Thanks for sharing that. And Thank thanks you. for being on the show. You've got uh, great energy and so much insight. You can tell it's well-researched, but it's also inspirational, which doesn't Thank always you. happen together. It can be very factual, but it's got to be motivating too. And so thanks for sharing all that. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for having me. You bet. And listeners, my guest has been Amara Emua. She is a leadership coach. Her company and her practice is Authentic Transformations. And her new book is called The Truth behind excuses. So come back again next time, listeners, as we're continuing our around the world journeys, talking to practitioners about how they get inspired and how they organize ideas and how they gain the confidence and the connections to launch their work out into the world. I'm Mark Stinson, and we'll be unlocking your world of creativity. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. This program was produced by BSB Media, creators of IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Unlocking Your World of Creativity, and ThePeaceRoom.Love. We've created a special offer just for listeners of the podcast. You can get the book, A World of Creativity, for a special price of $5.98 for paperback. And the Kindle version is only 99 cents. Go to mark-stinson.com to take advantage of this special offer.